Welcome to the Storytellers Live Podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories. Some are profound and challenging, while others are more common and relatable, shared with honesty and humor. But all of these stories reveal what God can do in our lives when we trust Him with the details. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Kelly, from the Storytellers Live team. On each episode, a different woman shares her story, often in a live setting, with the bottom line being that God is good. Stella, our storyteller for today, shares one of the most powerful testimonies I have ever heard about forgiveness and redemption. In her mid-twenties, Stella experienced what is probably many women's greatest fear. She was sexually assaulted by an intruder who broke into her home one morning. What makes this story so powerful is that God didn't just carry Stella through those darkest moments of her life, but He also brought her healing and peace. He restored her joy and allowed her to overcome fear that I imagine would haunt you every day of your life without His help. He also gave Stella the gift of mercy and compassion and has brought her to a place where she views the man who assaulted her as someone who is worthy of prayer. This paints such a beautiful picture of God's love and grace. So this is a story that will stick with you for so many reasons, and I'm so anxious for you to hear it. Here is Stella. I'm sorry that I've got lozenges in one hand. You know, Friday, I lost my voice completely. And my husband gave me some steroids. He said, you know what? I know you're wanting to speak. He's not one to give steroids. And he's not one to take care of anybody sick in our family. Um, but he did, he did put me on it. And my voice has come back today. I've told Dale many times that if I die on the tombstone, it's going to say, I told you I was sick, you know? But anyway, so if I cough and and I sound kind of raspy, I apologize. But God gave me my voice back. Uh, I had a granddaughter that slept with me this week at my house, and uh, Lily is her name, and she's five, and she was burning up with fever all night. So I picked up something from her. And then, then poor Kimberly took all her four children back to Fairhope, and we were all supposed to rendezvous together in South Alabama for Thanksgiving. And she called and said, Lily is still burning up with fever. I just can't bring her. And so, you know, I felt so bad for her, but I understood because I was feeling really bad myself. Um, but Kimmy called me that later that night and said, Mama, let me tell you about my Thanksgiving. I had made an apple tort for our big occasion in South Alabama. So I had apple tort for breakfast. We all did. We had apple tort for lunch. We had apple tort for snack. I had nothing in the house for Thanksgiving. Her husband's an ER doc, and he was working all day. And she had four kids. And finally, she found out Cracker Barrel was open in Spanish Fort. She lives in Fairhope. So she took all the children to uh, Cracker Barrel for Thanksgiving. And she said, Isaac, when they were leaving, Isaac's a nine-year-old, and he's a funny kid anyway, but he said, Mama, on any other day, Cracker Barrel would be horrible, but today was the best Thanksgiving meal ever. 
you know, our family has a lot of laughter. I think that's how we've survived over the years. It's amazing to me that when I look at my children, and I have five children, they're all grown and they're all married now. But when I look at them, I see qualities in them that remind me so much of my dad, who died when I was 15. They never met my dad. But it's amazing genetics that are passed through our family. And... um, and I look at the, the laughter that Isaac brings to his family. Kimmy, his mother, definitely brought the laughter to our family. We've laughed a lot. And, of course, the apple didn't fall far from the tree because I'm married to a comedian. Uh, if anybody knows Dale, he's just, he just keeps me laughing. And that's, that's so important when you go through difficult times to be able to laugh. Um, I grew up, and actually Dale did too. We both grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. Dale grew up on the other side of the tracks. I went to public school. He went to Jackson Prep. So I never, I didn't meet him until I went off to college. Um, But before that, I was born in Baton Rouge. I was a big LSU fan. My dad went to law school at LSU. I grew up being a big LSU fan. And then uh, dad was transferred from Jackson, Mississippi. He worked for an insurance company as their lawyer, and he was transferred to uh, New Orleans. And so for about six months, we lived in New Orleans. I was ninth grade, and we moved right in the middle of my ninth grade year. I left school in Jackson, Mississippi. That's a hard age to move. And we, I had three other siblings. One was in college, but we moved to New Orleans, and I had to go to an all-girls school because that's what they do in junior high in New Orleans. You have all girls and you have all boys. And we moved in January, and in May of that year, Daddy found out he was diagnosed with uh, lung cancer, and he was a smoker. You know, back then, they just didn't know the harm that cigarette smoking would cause, and he died in August. So three months he had it. And I remember, I can remember seeing Mama and Daddy in the backyard, and Dad would have his arm around our collie. We grew up with a collie, and both of them would be crying. But they always put on a brave front for their children, and we really thought Daddy would be healed, you know. And the last time I saw him, he was in a hospice hospital in New Orleans, and uh, he each one of us went into the room for him to tell us goodbye. And very, it's just something that you'll always remember. It always chokes me up when I think about it. But he was, he loved the Lord. He was a great Bible teacher. He loved the Lord, and he passed all that on to us children. And and my mother was the bravest, uh, has been the strength in our family. And she, we, we do laugh a lot. And my siblings and I are extremely close. And you have to be intentional when you get to be adults to stay close. And we've always been intentional to do things together. Daddy's one request before he died was he told Mom to move us back to Jackson, Mississippi, which really was our home and was our church home. And so we did. We moved back to Jackson after Daddy died. And uh, and that is what took me to Mississippi State University. So I left being an LSU fan and became a Mississippi State University Bulldog fan. And that's where I met my husband. And back in the day, and I think some of these older women, and, and we're not real old, but these older women... <laughs> can attest to that when you were in college, you could date multiple people at one time. And my children were horrified by that. You, you know, they would always say, we could never do that. We would be considered a bad girl. But at Mississippi State, you could date multiple people, and we did. And I dated Dale off and on all the way up to my senior year. He met me. We were both in the same class, uh, a physics class. I was in pre-med. He was in pre-med. My mother said I just wanted to marry a doctor. I didn't really want to be a doctor. <laughs> 
but I was always late to class. He said he could time his watch at 8.07 in the morning. Stella would walk in and climb the podium steps, you know, up to where my seat was. And all the eyes would be looking, but I... You know, I saw his and also witnessed him being the comedian he was in front of Campus Crusade for Christ. We called him Hoorahs. And they were like fellowships that were done on Friday evenings. And Dale was always the MC, and I thought he was the funniest guy. And he had his eyes on me, and I had my eyes on him. But I had my eyes on a bunch of different people, too. (laughs) My claim to fame, and, and it's hard to believe now, but I dated John Grisham for three years off and on, if you know anything about that author. Um, But Dale's heart is what attracted me. Not just his looks, but definitely his heart. And the neat thing about Dale is that when he took me home to his mama, I walked in the door and his mama said, you are Harold Powell's daughter. And I was just shocked. I said, yes? How do you know my dad? And she said, well, I played basketball at Jones Junior College before he went off to the Navy with your dad, and you look just like him. Isn't that amazing? So Dale and I, our parents were, were born in the same county, Mississippi. In Mississippi, you're related to everybody one way or the other. You know, there's a family tree that just goes all over the state. And Dale and I, we always call ourselves kissing cousins somewhere down the line. But anyway, I was so, just so blessed to have him as a husband. The thing that, again, that attracted me was his heart for the Lord. Because I grew up seeing that evident in my parents' life. I knew that's what I wanted in a husband one day. I knew I could be safe with Dale. I knew that he would love me. Uh, He would love me unconditionally because his commitment was not just to me. His commitment was to the Lord first and foremost. And that's what attracted me and a sense of humor, which could get me laughing. He started medical school in 19, let me think about this, 1978. And I stayed behind at Mississippi State. I was a little slow, and I graduated a semester later. So we didn't get married until after his first year of medical school, which was really the best thing that could have happened, except three months before we were to be married. This is after I've had several showers, Invitations have gone out, and Dale doesn't like me telling this story because he says I get fire in my eyes. But three months before our wedding date, he broke off the engagement. Give me back my ring. I just don't feel like this is right for for me. And I was devastated. I mean, you could imagine, devastated. It was right at my spring break, because I was teaching school in Jackson. And it was right at spring break, and I remember I left to go be with my older sister who was married and she lived in Jackson, Tennessee and I was going to, this is what I was going to do, go get in the car I was going to call John Grisham in South Haven, that's where he was from (laughs) I was going to fill out an application with Campus Crusade for Christ because I was really involved in college and I was going to go on staff and so I, went, I met with some friends that were on staff in Memphis, Memphis State, and then I went to my sister's house. And again, I was still just lost, you know. I just, I, my anchor had just been lifted. I was just lost. And my sister said, if he calls you and wants you back, you are going to have to play hard to get. You're just going to have to, because I'm not going to put up with you being hurt like this again. And sure enough, on Thursday of my spring break week, I get a call 
and it's Dale. And he says, I have made the biggest mistake of my life. Will you please come home? And of course, I did. I just got in the car and went straight home. I could not play hard to get. We got married in June 1979. It will be almost 40 years. It will be 40 years this coming June. Um, but um, while he was starting med school, then our second year, I got pregnant eight months after we got married. It wasn't planned, and it was, but it was planned by God, and it was sweet Carla. And she's 38 years, and uh, she was 38 October the 30th. And, um, and I was really fortunate to be able to stay home. I didn't have to teach school. I was nursing her. Um, I was able to stay home in our, our little apartment while Dale was at medical school, which was such a blessing. But I'm going to tell you about an experience that happened during that time, and this is very hard to talk about, but yet I want you to see God's goodness in my life and how you can overcome some really hard things. And if you live long enough, let me tell you, you're going to experience some hard times. If you live to be 80, you know, you're going to experience hard times. Um, but Dale was at work one particular day. And on this day, Carla was four months old, I remember waking up for the first time and feeling like I had time to really spend some quality time with the Lord. Uh, you know, with a newborn and being a new mama, you know, and I didn't get much sleep at night. I never knew if I was doing things the right way. Um, so there's a lot of anxiety there. But I had a quiet time with the Lord that morning. And it was just a precious quiet time to the point that I almost felt like I could reach out and touch him in the room. And I, I realize now that he was preparing me for a very difficult time that I was going to have to face. So my mother called and said, hey, it's your birthday today. I was 25 years old, March 14th. It was my birthday. She said, let me come pick you up for lunch, you and Carla. And I was so excited. And so about 11 o'clock, maybe 10.30 in the morning, I went and took a shower to get ready. And in the middle of all that, I got out of the shower, wrapped myself in a towel to dry off. Carla was in her bed playing, and I could hear her cooing. She had, she had just waked up from her morning nap. And I heard a bang on the door. And I thought to myself, well, that's kind of weird. We lived in a, It was in an old house that we lived in. They had four apartments that were made out of the house, and it was close to the University Medical Center. But I thought, that is the weirdest noise. But I, I just imagined it being Dale kicking the door with a bunch of books in his hand. You know, we didn't have iPads back then. You had books, you know. And I just really wasn't that fearful. But for a brief moment, I saw a pair of scissors on the bathroom counter. And I thought, well, let me grab them just in case. But I didn't. Something told me, leave the scissors there. And so I went down the long hall, because it was an old house. It was just kind of made differently. So Carla was at the very one end of the hall, and on the other end, you turned the dining room, and you walked into the living room. And so when I walked through the dining room and walked into the living room, there was a man standing in the living room, somebody that obviously my brain just wasn't working quite like, like is, you know, just, you just it's amazing how things just kind of go in slow-mo, like... It, when I finally dawned to me, this is not good. He had a screwdriver in his hand, and he took the heavy part of it and then just knocked me to the ground. And if you've ever, my husband hunts, and he's always kind of imitating the way animals sound when they're, you know, caught or trapped or whatever, or another animal is after them. And I was a trap. I was a trapped animal in the way I was crying because there was no way I could get out of the situation. I had a baby down the hall. There was a back door. I couldn't leave Carla. You know, you, that's, that's what you think about the most is your child. And so he sexually assaulted me. 
hey, the profanity and the, the stuff that was coming out of his mouth, y'all, I knew that he was going to kill me, but you know what? I really didn't care. I cared about Carla. Please, I beg, please don't touch my baby. Please don't hurt my baby. Please, whatever you do, you can do whatever you have to do with me. Please don't hurt Carla. Because she was, I could hear her in the back of the, in her bedroom. And again, he would just, you know, just say awful, awful stuff. Words that come out of the pit of hell, really. And, uh, and then he stood up, went into the kitchen, and I remember hearing my drawers in the kitchen open. And this is what I was envisioning as I was laying on the floor naked. I was envisioning him getting knives and, and going to you know, torture me or kill me, really. And before he went in the kitchen, he told me, you better not utter a sound. You better not do anything. You better not say a word. And, and, and then I didn't hear anything anymore. I didn't hear him go down the hallway, so I knew he wasn't there with Carla. I could still hear her laughing in her bed. And I, and I didn't even really hear the back door open, but that's the way he went out. But I laid on the I laid on the floor, just naked, and I'd been sexually assaulted, scared, you know, just, just you can imagine. It's it's probably a person, a woman's worst fear besides losing a loved one, a child, especially. I think being raped is something that you can't imagine what it's like because it, it changes your whole perspective on life in general and the life around you and the world around you. And so I wasn't so sure he had left, but I decided then and there that I would just start singing. And I would sing very, very quietly, and I would get louder and louder because I knew that if I got louder and if he was still there, he would tell me to shut up. So the only thing I could sing, the only thing that would come to me was Jesus loves me, this I know. Sorry, I wasn't going to cry. It's amazing to me that something that happened 38 years ago still affects me this way. But it does. And I'm not sad. I'm really not sad. I'm crying because God is so amazing. Simple song, Jesus loves me, this I know. But in reality, I was singing truth. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. And the verse came to mind, uh, and I do know this verse from memory, because it came to mind in my heart. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardships or persecution or famine or nakedness, and I was there naked, or danger or sword? And you know this verse, for I am convinced that neither death nor life. See, I knew that if I died, I would be with him. Neither angels nor demons. And see, there was a demon there in my room that day. Neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. And God told me in that that moment, he said, there is absolutely nothing that has changed regarding your body. Your body is still the temple of the Holy Spirit. I still indwell in you. And to me, it is beautiful. It is right. It is good. And you know, that carried me for years and years. It has carried me today. Uh, that, That nothing has changed. He was always there. And he was there that day with me. God is so amazing in that in the hours that or the minutes that passed, 
I knew exactly what to do. I called 911. And I don't remember if we had 911 back then. It might have been call the operator. You know, I can't remember. But I knew to call the police. But after I called the police, I knew I couldn't get in touch with Dale. He was in medical school. I called my mother. Can you imagine what that was like? She was several blocks away getting ready to take her daughter out for her 25th birthday. And I called her. And she, like I told you, I sounded like a trapped animal, you know, crying. My mother just just wept on the phone and yelled on the phone and just yelled for her daughter that she couldn't protect. And she got to me before the police got to me. And the police came in, and they do all the things that they do. Detectives were there, and they were taking samples, and they were doing this and doing that. And then they said, we have to take you now to the medical center, the university medical center. I said, no. I mean, I knew so many Mississippi State people that were there in medical school. I did not want to go in that ER. I mean, I just didn't want to. And the policeman said, ma'am, you know what? We've, we had to take you there. We just received these new rape packets that they have to use in the doctor's ER. The ER, and, and no other doctor in town is going to have it. And I begged, please, let me call my doctor. And this was 12 noon by then. And this was a huge clinic. What doctor is in, What you tell me, what doctor is there at 12 noon in their clinic? And I called. And the secretary answered. I said, by any chance, is Dr. Ball there? And they said, yes, he is. His nurse is there, too. I said, I need to, I need to see him. And he got on the phone. He said, Stella, tell them to bring you to me. I just received that rape packet yesterday. And so in the private, the privacy of my own doctor, who knew us from his son was also in school with Dale. And they went to Jackson Prep together. And so Dr. Ball, in, his, in the privacy of his office, he took the samples that needed to be taken. They were DNA samples. That's what they started doing. It was all new. And uh, he gave me shots. You know, I had to have shots. And he said, then he said, now in two weeks, I need to do a pregnancy test on you, which, you know, that's the last thing you're thinking about. And um, I said, well, what if? And he said, well, Stella, we just cross that bridge if we have to, you know. And so for two weeks, y'all, you can imagine, I kept thinking, what if? What if I'm pregnant, you know? And I remember looking over at Carla in her bed one day, and God just spoke to me. I know we all have different views about abortion, but he spoke to me. And he said, you know what? You were a victim. But the ba- if you are pregnant, that baby doesn't need to be a victim. You are. But not if you're pregnant, not the one that you're carrying. And I had great peace about that. I didn't worry. If I was, I was. If I wasn't, I wasn't. You know, and I wasn't pregnant. I did not get pregnant. You know, I was nursing at the time. And I, you know, I never, I don't know about y'all, but I never had a cycle when I was nursing. You know, so maybe it's God's protection over me during that time. I just thought it was so beautiful how God took care of me that day. But the next two weeks were going to be very, very difficult as detectives would come and ask me questions over and over again. And then I had to go to lineups, and that's going to the jail. And, and they would bring men out in the lineup. And they, they can't see you, but I could see them. Can you imagine how scared they must have been? This is Mississippi, y'all. I mean, being accused of rape when you didn't do it. And that was the other big fear I had. I cannot put anyone to jail unless I know for certain that he is the one that did it. I just can't. 
And God just worked in a beautiful way because all of a sudden, in that two-week period, I started recalling things about him, the jewelry he was wearing, the stones in his rings, the rings, the earrings in his ear. It was, it was just amazing the things my brain would slowly recall. So I went through two lineups, and these were just jailbirds that the police put in the lineup just to see if you really are accurate in picking out somebody. They knew these guys couldn't have done the job, could have raped me, but they just wanted to make sure that I was a credible witness. But one day they did call and say, we have him. We know who he is. He was out on parole from the penitentiary, and he was attacking a girl at Millsap's campus. Two days later, he exposed himself on the day that I was sexually assaulted to children at First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. We know who he is. And then they said this, he had every bit of the jewelry you described on him, and, and, and we have him, and we need for you to come identify him. Now, can you imagine what that was like? And so I went. And the weird thing about it is the man did not have a mustache, and the detectives were kind of amazed that he had a mustache when they picked him up, but he shaved it off before he went to the lineup. And they thought that he was trying to hide something, but in reality, he was exactly who I remembered he to be. You know, again, it was just another confirmation in my heart. Yes, he's the one. At this time, my mother had remarried. Uh, she married Papa Ed when she was 47. Papa Ed was 65. He's the only granddad on my side that my children have always known. He had always hoped mother and he would have 30, I mean, five years together. They had 30 years together. He died at 95. My mother's still living. But Papa Ed was on one side of me. My mother was on the other. Dale was in medical school. And I had to go identify the man. It was extremely difficult, and I just wept and wept and wept and cried. But then it doesn't end there, y'all. Then you go to trial. And so what they do for that is that you go to the courtroom in front of a judge with your lawyer. He comes in with his lawyer, and there has to be a decision by the judge if the case can proceed to a grand jury. And so you're testifying. And he can testify if he wants to. But it's just to see if it can go to trial. So I'm sitting in a courtroom now. Again, it's Papa Ed and my mother. And I think Dale was there that day. And I'm sitting in the courtroom on the chair just like this, facing my family, facing his lawyer, facing my lawyer. The judge is here. And I hear, this is going to make me cry again, but I hear the chains around his legs you know after so many years I know that one of God's gift inside of me the Holy Spirit's given me is a gift of mercy it was easy for me to forgive that day I don't know what kind of life he had growing up I knew that he needed to go to I needed, he needed to be prosecuted. I needed to do what the government required of me and send him to jail. I knew all of those things, but yet in my heart, God spoke to me and said, you know, Stella, this is what we all deserve. You deserve. You deserve to be in shackles and chains. You know, but look what I did for you. I forgave you. I died on the cross for you. It was just so easy for me to look at him and say, I forgive you. I forgive you. And so um, 
I didn't have to go to trial. It didn't have to go to trial. He pleaded guilty. The DNA matched all the jury match. It was just too much stacked up against him. God was so good to keep me from having to go into a public trial regarding him. And again, remember, this is Mississippi we're talking about. And uh, But God was so faithful. Um, I, I get often asked, how do you handle the fact that it was on your birthday? Why would anything like that happen on somebody's birthday? Why would God allow it to happen on somebody's birthday? And I can tell you this. I think God wanted me to remember on every birthday. It's easy to get caught up in raising children and raising grandchildren and just, you know, we just forget sometimes. Even those important things we forget, but I never forget on my birthday. There is not a birthday that goes by that I don't get out of the bed and before my feet touch the ground, I pray for this man. He is in there for life. I pray for him. I pray for his salvation. Again, I knew I did what I was supposed to do, and I knew it was him, but this is a short time to live on this earth, but we have eternity to think about, and I pray for Matthew, and I thought, what mother would name a child Matthew if she didn't have some sense of God or the Bible? You know, so I pray for him, and in praying for him, that forgiveness just oozes right back out again. I forgive him over and over and over again. You know, my children heard this story, and I have th- I have four girls and one boy, and so when the girls were old enough, I wanted them to know, because mainly I wanted them to know to be aware of the world around them. And you know what? They are not. You know, they just, they just live their life running, jogging by themselves, you know? It's just amazing to me. But the one thing that I definitely wanted them to know is that forgiveness is what the Bible asked of us. I didn't want to become a bitter mother. I didn't want to be a, become a woman that would just shrivel up from, the, from just unforgiveness in her heart. I wanted them to see a mother that followed the Lord, obeyed Him, and in obedience, that they would also just want to serve Him one day. And, you know, I am so blessed in that they do. All five of my children are married, and they are following the Lord. I mean, I'm just so incredibly blessed in that regard. Um, yeah, after, after Dale finished medical school, we went to Huntsville, Alabama, where he did his residency with UAB there in Huntsville. And I was placed in a Bible study there, and it was all on the sovereignty of God. And that was so, again, a God thing that I needed to know that, that we did not serve a God that just sits on his throne and his hands are tied and he couldn't do anything on that day. We serve a God that knew way ahead of time what I was going to be facing, and he prepared me that day. And he allowed it to happen for a reason and for a purpose. I also get asked many times, how do I cope now? Or over the years when I'm by myself, you know, my children are gone, and I'm home alone many a night because my husband's in the emergency room. And I had a sweet pastor in Huntsville that I, that was my that counseled me when I really struggled with this in Huntsville when Dale was doing his residency. I was fearful at night, and you can imagine I knew the world what the world was like on the outside. I was fearful of being alone. And he said, Stella, you got to know that we're not fighting with the weapons of the world, but we're fighting with the weapons. I'll read the scripture that I love so much. Weapons that are spiritual. Let's see if I can find it. Well, 
For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine powers to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And my sweet pastor told me that those nights that I felt really scared to just get up. He said, we're fighting a battle here. You know, get up, go to that part of the house that really bothers you the most and put scripture and say scripture out loud and uh, and just wait for that peace to just come back in your heart because it will. And so that's what I did. All the scriptures that dealt with fear and being alone, I would tape in different areas of my house. And at night when I'd start sweating and my heart would start palpitating because I heard something outside that was concerning, I just jumped out of the bed and I went straight to that part of the house, and I quoted scripture out loud. And even today, I still do that. You know, Dale and I, after living in town for so many years, we've decided to move out to the country. And you know, I have to tell you, my children also ask the same question, Mama, how are you going to do it? How are you going to be in that house out in the country by yourself at night when Daddy's in the emergency room? And I kind of jokingly say, well, I'll probably be sleeping on the couch most of the nights. But I'm going to remember this. Put those scriptures up. Matter of fact, I have somebody that already wrote scripture all over the woodwork, you know, the framing part of the house. They have scripture all written all through the framework of this new house we're building that's dealing with fear. And so I'm just going to remember this, you know. Um, I think when I look at my children today and uh, see where they are, I'm amazed that Carla, Carla and I were just talking about this, but she is an assistant U.S. attorney in North Alabama, and she's got a big case coming up, and it's against the state regarding the state prison. Isn't that interesting? She is representing the federal government. She says Alabama prisons are some of the worst in the country, and so there, there needs to be reform in the prisons. And I just, you know, it's so close to me and to my heart, too, because I think about the people who've made really bad, bad choices and that are in the prisons today, and yet they all, everybody ought to be able to hear the gospel. And, uh, and so I just think it's so intriguing. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about my kids, too. Um, the oldest is Carla, of course. Kimmy is in Fairhope with four children. Carla has two. Cameron is in Birmingham. He's an ER doc. He has two. Um, Katie, and this is another story regarding Katie. I knew I was leaving something out, but Katie is uh, living in Fair, not um, in Crystal Springs. She's just recently married. In the past year and a half, she's pregnant, 32. And then uh, Camille, the millennial child, is having fun in Colorado with her husband. You know? <laughs> but let me tell you about something about Katie, and I'm glad God brought this to mind because here's another beautiful story. The spring of the year, after I was sexually assaulted, was always the hardest for me. I, you know, I could smell the dogwoods, the azaleas, and it was around my birthday. And this darkness would sometimes envelope me. You know, I could remember that day so well. In the spring of the year, I almost dreaded. And we were in Huntsville. I just begged the Lord, please let the spring of the year be beautiful for me again. 
And the neat thing about it is that I went to the doctor when I was in Huntsville. I already had two children, Carl and Kimmy, but I went to the doctor because I missed my period. And he said, you know what? You're expecting again, Stella. And you know what? The birth date is your birthday, March the 14th. And I knew immediately God brought to mind, he answered my prayer, that the spring of the year was no no longer going to be about me. It was going to be about my Katie. And what's amazing about Katie is that out of all my children, she has a heart for the nations. And Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. And Katie taught gymnastics. She coached gymnastics in the country of Jordan. She learned Arabic. And she's been to Lebanon and worked with the Syrian refugees. Now, she's married and living in Crystal Springs. Still has a heart for the nations. Doesn't know what that looks like yet. She just got back with her husband from a trip to Israel, Jordan, and Lebanon. She wanted him to see what the Middle East was like because it's not what you see on television. And uh, it was a great experience, but being 28 weeks pregnant, she was pretty worn out. So, But I just thought it was so neat that not only did he give me Katie, but he gave me somebody who has a heart for the nations like Katie. And what a sweet story that is. I don't know how many years the Lord has for me here on this earth. I mean, hopefully 30 more years. You know, I'm 62. My mother's still doing well at 88. Dale's mother's still driving at 92, if you can believe that. Uh, and, And they all, both of them live alone, you know, by themselves. But God could call me home tomorrow, you know. But I tell everybody that when I get to heaven, I'm going to love on my daddy Love on Papa Ed, who was a wonderful stepfather. Love on all the ones that have gone before me. But I'm going to look for Matthew. And I know, in my spirit, I know that I'm going to see this man walk up to me. And he's going to be dressed in white. No more chains on his hands. No more chains around his ankles. And I'm going to say, Matthew, you know what? What you did to me, you know... You might have meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. You know, who else would have prayed for this man every single year? Who else would pray for him? Maybe I'm the only one that prayed for him and prays for him. But God meant it for good. Thank y'all for letting me share. You know what? I was not supposed to cry this time. <laughs> I am so amazed by Stella's courage and even more so her heart and her compassion for the man who attacked her and assaulted her. And that just goes to show what God can do in our hearts when we give everything to Him and we allow Him to transform the pain and to use it for good. And I don't want to make light of the weight of grief and pain that that kind of scenario would bring on because there are many of you out there, sadly, many who have been assaulted or who have been abused sexually, physically, even verbally abused. And uh, it can wreck your soul and it can break your heart. And so I don't make light of the pain, but I do want you to know that God sees you and he knows your heart and he wants to bring you peace and renew your soul 
and make you whole again. I have a friend, Catherine Wolf, who's also a speaker and a writer. I know many of you know her. She's written the book, Hope Heals, uh, that stems from her own struggles over the last 10 years after a stroke. And I love what she says. She says, God created you to do the hard thing in the good story he's writing for your life. And so whatever it is that you're facing today, God has made you and equipped you to tackle those challenges, and He is weaving it all together, the good, bad, and the ugly. He is making it into a beautiful story for your life, and His story is good. We hope that that gives you encouragement today. We're so glad you joined us for Storytellers Live today. And if you want to know more information about our podcast, the team, you can go to storytellerslive.org. And also, anytime you listen to a story and you really connect with the speaker or you've gone through a similar experience, and especially with today's story, um, if you've gone through something like Stella and you would like to reach out and connect with her, um, just go to our website and you'll be able to contact us through that. And then hopefully we can get you connected with the right person. So we're so glad that you've joined us. We love um, how God has used this podcast to connect people, to bring healing, to encourage and inspire hope. And we're grateful for you. Take care.